You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Research findings from the past few decades have definitively concluded that cognitive behavioral therapy in the form of exposure and response prevention is the most effective treatment for obsessive compulsive disorder. The other standard treatment for OCD is antidepressant medication. Although both treatments provide a reduction in symptoms, exposure and response prevention therapy has been shown to offer some significant advantages over medication. The most current perceptions and treatments of obsessive compulsive disorder will be the topic of this clinician's roundtable. Welcome, I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, is Dr. Bradley Riemann, Director of the OCD Center and Cognitive Behavioral Services at Rogers Memorial Hospital. Dr. Riemann is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Chicago Medical School, Marquette University, and the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. He is the founder of the Anxiety Disorders Foundation, a charitable organization dedicated to improving the lives of those affected with anxiety disorders. Welcome, Dr. Riemann. Thank you. Dr. Riemann, let's start with the medications typically prescribed for OCD. The medications typically prescribed are the ones that have been federally approved to treat OCD in the United States uh, come from a subset of antidepressants, all of which affect the brain chemical serotonin. The original medication approved, anaphronil, which is a tricyclic antidepressant, does affect serotonin and it blocks uh, the reuptake of serotonin, so it's considered an SRI. Shortly uh, after anaphronil was approved, other companies uh, came out with somewhat their versions uh, of this medication and, and they uh, tried to improve upon it by uh, having it exclusively uh, block the reuptake uh, of serotonin. And, and so those are considered SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And by kind of just exclusively focusing in on the serotonin, uh, the, the medication is, are considered a little bit purer, if you will, potentially causing less side effects. So the, the thought there was that perhaps uh, these medicines would be more tolerable than the old, quote-unquote, dirtier medication of anaphronol, which does a variety of things. And these other things that it does do cause some uh, unpleasant side effects from time to time. And is that, in fact, what has happened? Are they preferable? Well, that's an interesting question. I think if you uh, did a survey of psychiatrists and physicians, I think the vast majority of them would say that that is the case, although meta-analysis studies do not support that. There's no question that the newer medicines cause fewer side effects, but the, the tolerance of these does not seem to be superior. In fact, dropout rates with anaphronil in these meta-analysis studies is about half that of the other medicines. And, and why that may be the case is a little bit of a, a, an area of controversy, but it appears that, that anaphronil, the old guard, may be a half a notch or a notch better in reducing the symptoms of OCD than these newer medicines. And the idea is that patients perhaps are willing to tolerate these side effects because they are feeling better. Can you explain the role of serotonin in OCD? Well, it's just a theory. Uh, we're not quite sure, but the idea is this. The serotonin hypothesis really kind of came out of the medication trials. In other words, you know, typically in science we come up with a hypothesis and then we develop a test that tries to control for all the other possible explanations and in this case, however, a hypothesis kind of came out of a test. OCD used to be thought to be quite rare. And then in 1984, during the ECA study where they were looking at prevalence rates of mental illness in the United States, we found out that OCD was not rare. In fact, it was the fourth most common psychiatric condition in this country with millions of people being affected. As a result, of course, everybody kind of 
uh, went to battle stations, so to speak, to try to help these individuals. And uh, physicians began to basically test different medicines on people with OCD, and most of them were doing nothing for them. But then finally, they, they tested an afronil, and guess what? It reduced OCD symptoms. And, and so people kind of sat back and said, well, why might that be the case? And, and they kind of went through the checklist of the different things and the different neurotransmitters that an afronil affects and kind of concluded that it must be the fact that it blocks the reuptake of serotonin. So it's kind of a hypothesis that came out of a test, so it's a little bit of reverse science. But clearly these medicines help people with OCD. Uh, our best guess is that it is because it is affecting levels of serotonin in their system. But frankly, uh, our, our knowledge of neurochemistry is in its infancy, and, and it could indeed be something else that it's affecting. If you have just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Bradley Riemann, director of the OCD Center and Cognitive Behavioral Services at Rogers Memorial Hospital in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Dr. Riemann, these medications are effective in helping to reduce the symptoms of OCD. The other treatment that is recommended for OCD is cognitive behavioral therapy. How do cognitive behavioral therapists approach working with OCD? Well, the main emphasis of the CBT model, cognitive behavioral therapy model, is exposure and response prevention, or sometimes known as exposure and ritual prevention, either way, ERP. That is the, really the main thrust of the treatment, and the idea here is that a very thorough assessment is done of the different things that give people with OCD trouble, whether it's related to contamination and not being able to touch doorknobs or light switches and that type of thing, or whether it's related to doubt and they can't leave their home without checking to make sure the coffee pot is off and the doors are locked and these types of things. A very thorough assessment is done about the way OCD is affecting these given individuals. From there, very specific exposure exercises are developed to basically expose a person into their feared situation or expose them into circumstances that will cause their obsessional thoughts to happen. And the idea here is if you uh, expose somebody in a prolonged, meaning long enough, repetitive fashion, they notice that their anxiety about being in this situation goes down with nothing but the passage of time. That process is called habituation. So if you, again, uh, in a prolonged repetitive fashion, keep uh, placing people into these situations, their reported anxiety decreases. So you're actually artificially creating a situation where they have to face what it is that they are afraid of. What would be an example of, of setting up something like that? We'll just use contamination as an example simply because it's the most common obsessional thought that people with OCD report. These individuals will, for example, say things like, as a result of their fear of contamination, that they can't shake people's hands, use doorknobs turn off light switches, use people's pens, and of course the list will go on and on. We will take each one of those areas one at a time, such as using people's pens, and uh, we will say, okay, well, and, and different clinicians use different rating scales, but say on a 0 to 10 scale, with 10 being the most anxious you could imagine, 0 being no trouble whatsoever, how anxious would you be if we asked you to use someone else's pen, not wash it off before, not wash you off after. So the exposure is using someone's pen. The ritual prevention, of course, would normally be a wash, is not cleaning the pen off before you use it or not cleaning yourself off after it's used. And typically, OCD patients are going to say, well, it depends. And you say, well, it depends on what? Whose pen am I using? Is it Johnny in my class because Johnny seems to be sick all the time and that would be hard? Or am I asking my teacher who seems to be pretty healthy or my dad? 
And we might say, well, let's start with your dad first. Well, that wouldn't be too bad. I guess that would be about a three. What about your teacher? Five. What about Johnny? Eight. So we would generate dozens and dozens, many times well over a hundred, very specific exposure exercises, individually tailored to the patient's needs, individually rated by them in terms of how difficult they think they would be if we actually asked them to do them. And, And the third key to making exposure successful, the first being prolonged, the second being repetitive, the third is doing it in a graduated fashion. In other words, you would not start someone off, in my example, by having them touch Johnny's pens or using Johnny's pens. That's an eight on a zero to 10 scale. You'd probably start off with you know, using his father's pen or the teacher's pen, for example, as a way of kind of getting your feet wet, so to speak. This is complex. I mean, you're starting with a very simple example, and yet look at all of the angles that that you needed to cover so that those who are qualified to treat OCD must have extensive training and experience in behavioral therapy. How do those with OCD go about finding a qualified clinician? You're basically bringing up the number one drawback to cognitive behavioral therapy for OCD, meaning the vast majority of professionals acknowledge that CBT is actually the treatment of choice for OCD, meaning if you're only going to choose medicine or CBT, you would actually choose the CBT. However, you know, the, the lack of availability is its number one drawback. The medicines are helpful and also very accessible. Every psychiatrist is going to feel comfortable prescribing them. Many uh, general practitioners, family doctors will feel comfortable, but try to find a good cognitive behavioral therapist, and that's difficult. My recommendation would be for your listeners to contact the Obsessive Compulsive Foundation, and they can contact them at ocfoundation.org. The OC Foundation has a a list of qualified professionals throughout the country. Now, would you say that a combination of medication and behavioral therapy, is that a cure? Well, cure is, is way too strong of a word. The goal for the vast majority of people is significant, meaningful, life-altering reduction in symptoms. And that can be achieved in roughly 85% of the cases. This is a very treatable condition when treated properly. But again, the goal for most people is reduction, reduction down to as close to the norm as we can get. We do have some patients who will report basically being symptom-free, but that's, that's really not the goal. If a patient does experience symptom reduction with medication, when they stop taking the medication, will the symptom reduction continue? Typically, it's the opposite, unfortunately. One of the drawbacks or disadvantages, if you will, of medication treatment only for OCD is, a, is a, quite a high relapse rate. Between 70 and 80 percent of people who take medicine will report a relapse within 7 to 12 weeks of discontinuing that medicine. So it's very high relapse rates. The key to to discontinuing medicine is the addition of cognitive behavioral therapy. You also brought up the issue of combining the two treatments. I mean, if we take a look at medicine alone, you know, generally uh, symptom reduction is going to be somewhere around 30 to 40 percent on average. So medicines alone will reduce OCD symptoms by 30 to 40 percent. The average symptom reduction for cognitive behavioral therapy alone is somewhere between 50 and 60 percent, which obviously means that the vast majority of people, regardless of which treatment they uh, choose, are still going to have some symptoms. But again, we're trying to reduce it down to more the, the normal level. But interestingly enough, you know, the, the idea is, well, what if you combine the two powerful treatments? And, you know, is that really going to give you some sort of additive effect? 
Actually, research has shown there is no additive effect, that cognitive behavioral therapy alone is as effective as cognitive behavioral therapy plus medicines. And that, of course, will be long-lasting once the person has gone through it. Yeah, very low relapse rates with the, with the CBT, as you mentioned. But now what I would also say is I acknowledge that research and I, and I support it, but I also think the vast majority of that type of work is done kind of with the average obsessive-compulsive disorder patient. Many of the patients we get at Rogers are very, very disabled with OCD. And in that case, Dr. Margolin, I want both guns blazing, so to speak, even though research doesn't necessarily support an additive effect. When you're dealing with severe, complicated OCD, I would definitely recommend a combination approach. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Bradley Riemann, Director of the OCD Center and Cognitive Behavioral Services at Rogers Memorial Hospital. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.